question for you this morning as we get into God's Word. Would you say that you love your job? Yes. Some would say no. Some would say it depends on the day. I'm not asking you to uh, decide, but that's a pretty easy one just to answer to yourself. You know whether you love your job or, job or not. And for most people, even if you love your job, if you're in your sweet spot of where you work, uh, there's still some days when you think, when is today over? I know it's, you know, 8.35 and I've only been here five minutes, but can it be 4.30 now? And can I get home now? Um, we look forward to those days. Um, and if that's true for us, I wonder if that's true for the world. I want to ask you um, to help me um, uh, with your opinion on whether you think people are finding satisfaction at work. If you were to ask them, is your work satisfying to them? Do you think they'd say yes, no, or sometimes, but? What do you think? Yes, no, sometimes, but? People would say yes, okay? Sometimes, but. Some people would say no. Let us know what you think in line, do you, uh, or online. Do you, if you were to ask people if they found satisfaction at work, what do you think they'd say? Type your answer in chat. We'd love to, to hear from you and get your opinion on, on that. I found some amazing statistics about job satisfaction uh, uh, and the way people like to work here in the United States. Recent uh, poll from Harvard Business Review said that less than 50% of employees trust the companies they work for. Less than 50% of employees trust the companies they work for. So let's unpack what that means a little bit. What that means is that when a company comes to a choice, most employees in the United States believe that they, that company is going to make the decision that's best for them, not best for you. Does that make sense? If push comes to shove, if it's a choice between you as an employee or them as a company, guess who wins? It's the company almost every time. And, 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 that's what people believe. Pew Research Center, another great organization that does uh, research studies, said that approximately 51% of Americans get a sense of identity. In other words, a sense of, I'm kind of working with my gifts, I'm working with my strengths, I'm working in a field that I want to be in. 51% of Americans get a sense of identity from their job. Let's unpack that one for a little bit, because that also means that 49% of Americans believe there's no value, there's no uh, deeply formed connection to, I'm doing something that I was made to do, that I was born to do. There's no sense of identity. And considering that just last week, we talked about what it means to build a Jesus-first um, mindset in your family. And today we're talking about how to have a Jesus-first mindset in your work. When you think about work and family together, that's predominantly where you spend most of your life. That's where you spend most of your time. You will spend it in those places. And that's a struggle when you're disengaged from work. But what do we do? What's the solution? How do we, how do we solve this problem? Well, I think 
churches have an incredible suggestion on how we can move forward beyond this level of dissatisfaction and begin to find satisfaction and meaning in the work that we do. And the way churches usually teach us how to uh, begin to find value in our work is to view our work as ministry, right? We view our work as a way that we can serve Christ. It's a way that we can serve Christ in our work. And that's true, but it's also incomplete. It's not the full picture. It's not the full story. Because doing ministry in your church is not just about doing church ministry things at work. It can't be. It can't be just about praying for your co-workers while you're at work, right? It can't be just about inviting your co-workers to church all of the time. It can't be about just sharing your faith with your co-workers and praying for your business. Do you know why that's true? Because if that's what you focused on at your work, you would never actually get your work done. And if you don't get your work done, what happens? Eventually, you are out of work. You have no work to go to. You have no job. So that is true. We are to be leveraging our relationships, leveraging opportunities, but that alone is incomplete. It's like a a house that has no furniture in it yet. It's not a home until it has furniture, art that fits the family, that blesses the family, that benefits the family. And that's God's design for your work, for your job. It's meant to be a blessing to you. But if that's the incomplete picture, what's the rest of it? How do we put furniture in this house? How do we build a Jesus-first mindset in the workplace? workplace? How do you have a Jesus-first life at work? Well, we've been in the middle of this series uh, that, uh, in a letter that Paul wrote to a bunch of believers, a church in uh, Colossae. It's called the book of Colossians. And so he told these Colossian believers how to build their lives on things above, to not be worried about, here's the things that are happening all, of around, all around you, because Jesus is supreme over all of these things. And now he's starting to unpack what that looks like in the most basic forms, the most impactful forms of life. We talked about family last week, and today he's going to tell us what to do about work. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 22. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. We're going to have the verses on the screen for you so you can follow along. But this is what he says about how to build a Jesus-first mindset in the workplace. Let's take a look. Slaves... Obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. The way that we build a Jesus-first mindset at work is to do our absolute best at work, and we do that for the Lord. Do your absolute best at your job, regardless of the character of your boss, regardless of the challenges of your culture, regardless of 
whether it's even an interesting part of your job or not. See, Paul is writing to slaves. What kind of jobs did slaves get in those days? Did they get the best jobs? Did they get to be the ones who would be couriers, who would deliver important messages? Would they sit in the presence of, of royalty? Would they help debate decisions? Would they, like, what are the jobs that they would get? They wouldn't be great jobs at all, would they? They'd be the worst jobs. They'd be the jobs that society doesn't want to do. You've all seen the show Dirty Jobs, right? The jobs that nobody else thinks of, and then all of a sudden you see these people who are doing these jobs, and you go, oh, I could never do that. Those are the things that slaves were being given to do. And Paul says, do those like you are working for the best boss ever, because you are working for the best boss ever. He cares about and rewards the quality of the work you do. He cares about and rewards the excellence with, with, you, with which you perform your daily tasks. Um, building a Jesus-first mindset isn't just about doing the, the church ministry things at work. It's about doing your job well. Doing it with excellence because you're serving the Lord. Uh, Dr. Scott Ray is a professor at Talbot Seminary where I graduated with my, my uh, doctorate. And I never had the chance to meet him personally, but he has written a number of books about how, uh, how to have a better theology of the workplace, of God in the workplace. And one of the stories that he shares was a quote from someone else that picks up on this idea about what it means to do your work well. He said, when carpenters come to Christ, the first thing we teach them is not to get drunk on weekends and show up to church on Sundays. But instead, the first things we should teach them is to make good tables. Do your job and do it well. Do it with excellence. When I was growing up, I um, uh, had a part-time job but I wasn't employed, I was self-employed, so to speak. I didn't have the right uh, documentation in order to work for another company, so I kind of worked for myself. And you know what that job was? I raised chickens. Mm-hmm. I raised chickens. What I did was I would buy a box of like a hundred chicks uh, when they were first born. And I would raise them and feed them and sell all the farm eggs until it got too cold because the barn, our family barn, wasn't winterized in northern Ontario. Uh, it was an older barn. We didn't really use it for much except this. And so by the end of the season, we would sell them and process them to be an alternative to a Thanksgiving turkey. And of course, you can get all of the ones that were raised with steroids and things like that, but how about a fresh farm, locally raised bird? Mm, those were delicious. They were just better in my opinion. Of course, I'm the salesman, so of course they're better. And so, we did all of the processing ourselves of these birds. We didn't do uh, anything where we'd send them off to a meat processing plant. We could have. It would have been easier, but then I don't have as much profit in my pocket, so I'm a good businessman at 14, 13, 14, 15 years old. I'm trying to make as much money as I can, so we did it all ourselves. Um, we would 
uh, slaughter them outside. We'd dunk them in a, a thing of hot water to get the feathers all soft, and then we'd pull all the feathers off by hand. We'd load them up in a box, and we'd take them back to our house to get ready to deliver to people. But before we did that, my mother would take the chickens out of the box, all the hens out of the box, put them back in the sink, and go over them again with tweezers. Why would you do that? We've already taken all the feathers off. Bird looks fine. Why don't we just deliver the birds? She would show me. She'd pick up the wing, or she'd pick up the leg, and you say, you see under here? Just touch that. And I touch it, and ow, there's something sharp. What is that? And she goes, that's a pin feather. You can't see them because they look exactly the same color as the skin. It's almost translucent. It kind of blends in. And if we don't get those out, our friends, our family who have paid a very good price for these hens, for their Thanksgiving dinner, are going to bite into those at their dinner table, and those little pin feathers are going to stick to the roof of their mouths in a bad way. Not in the way you like peanut butter to do, but in a bad way. So we have to get them all out. And my mother would spend hour after hour on each of these birds just looking to see, is there another pin feather? Did I miss anything? My thought was, when we brought them home, that's good enough. And my mom was basically showing me, good enough is not good enough. Sometimes we do that, the way we do our jobs, don't we? We do our jobs as people, we get a task we don't like, or, you know, we're kind of offended in the way this particular task was given to us, and we go, ah, we're just, we're going to mail it in on this one. You know what I mean by mail it in, right? We're, what's the minimum effort that I can accomplish here, and that's all I'm going to do. I would do that in school all of the time. Okay, what's the minimum that I have to do to get a decent grade? It doesn't have to be the best. But because God loves it when we work well and rewards those who work well, like He's their boss, we should work well with the best of our ability. Now, hear me well. There are industries, there are jobs that are not ethical. They are, they are, with, they are outside of the bounds of Christianity. Um, but some jobs, we struggle with doing well. And we need to rethink about what kind of effort are we giving because of who we're working for. Rather than mailing it in, let's devote some of our best energy to even some of the most mundane of tasks in our jobs, or if we're a student at our schools. And also, I would note that this is not to replace what is most important. Working for the Lord is not to be, uh, it's not to override, it's not to supplant or replace spending time with the Lord. Remember that uh, Mary and Martha were entertaining Jesus one day, and, and Martha was so mad at her sister, tell her to help me. I, I'm creating all of these things for all of these hungry fishermen who have just shown up at my house. And Jesus says, Martha, you're worried about all of these things, but Mary is doing what is best. It's not that we work in order to have a relationship with the Lord. Our work flows out of our relationship with the Lord. That's putting the cart before the horse when we get those two things backwards. However, even though those two things are true, the jobs that we have, whether we're in a 
transitionary job where we're thinking I deserve something better and I have this so that I can get to here. Do that with the most best effort that you can. Do your absolute best. Not because your job depends on it, but because of who you work for. You work for Jesus. You work for the best boss ever. Now, if you have people who report to you, if you have people who um, you supervise, if you have people who are, you know, they come to you with reports, if, if you kind of manage a team, if you manage a company, you've got a little bit more to do because Paul goes on to say to the Colossian believers that, that the employers have a little bit extra to do. He says this, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Christian employees are to do their absolute best to work for Jesus at work. Christian employers should do their absolute best to treat their employees with dignity because of who they answer to. They know they're not the boss of them, but that they also have a boss in return. You know, according to Office Vibe, uh, it's a, that's a company that trains businesses to cultivate trust and brings out the best in their teams. According to Office Vibe, more than 75% of people who quit their jobs quit their boss, not the work that they've been given. They don't mind the tasks. They don't mind their co-workers, but they quit because of their boss. 75% of people. That is amazing. And that means that there's a lot of bad bosses out there. There's a lot of bad supervisors who treat their employees like they're cogs in a machine rather than people. They're not assets in an organization. They're not things to be used. They have an intrinsic value. The question is, how does that become a problem? How is it that so many bosses, how many, so many supervisors, so many direct um, uh, people that we report to who oversee us, how come so many of them struggle in this area of treating their employees with dignity, with excellent dignity? I think one of the ways that that happens is that the policies that are handed down to them or that they create become more important than the people that are to follow them. Case in point, uh, I saw on Twitter this past week a story of Microsoft. Microsoft, one of the largest multinational corporations in the world. Billions and billions of dollars of net worth. Um, they are just huge. And if you're going to run a company that size, you know you've got policy and employee handbooks and red tape and all of the bureaucracy that has to happen in order to make departments and interdepartments all function together. Well, the policy on leaving is interesting because once you declare that you're leaving the company, you have then nine days. Nine, at the end of nine days, you are out of the Microsoft ecosystem. Your employee file is closed. Your uh, key card doesn't work anymore. Uh, your benefits and all of the things that you got as an employee of Microsoft are done. And the reason they do this is that they also need to move forward, right? If you say, 
I'm taking a new job going to company XYZ. They say, great, we're going to process this paperwork. We've got nine days to do it. And at the end of the nine days, thank you so much, and we're moving on. We're going to try and fill your position because we've got things to do. You don't become an industry leader by, you know, kicking the can down the road and say, yeah, we'll replace someone in a few months. They've got to be quick, they've got to be moving, and they've got to get things done. This one employee shared a story on Twitter that they gave their two weeks notice, and the process, the policy started. And on day eight, they had a huge emergency in their family where they needed to keep their health coverage. The employee phoned up his boss, his manager, and said, I don't know if anything can be done, but here's what happened. Um, I'm not going to be able to make the transition to my new job right away because of this health emergency in my family. Is there anything that I can do to stay on at Microsoft so I can afford health care? The boss said, I honestly don't know because you know the policy, but let me see what I can do. And he went to HR, and HR took a look at the case and said, well, no, we don't normally do anything, but in this case, we will. In this case, we're more concerned about the person than the policy. It's not going to cost us very much anyways. They've already paid their premiums to us, so whatever. And they extended his window of, employ of employment for another two months. He didn't show up to work. He didn't have his access card back. He didn't have access to all of the internal documents from Microsoft. And he didn't start his new job either. He had two months to get life kind of in order to deal with this medical emergency that had come up. It's one way that employees, or employers take care of their employees is that they put people before their policies rather than the other way around. We keep the policies in place because it makes the business run smoothly. But sometimes the policy can get in the way of doing the best thing, which is helping the people who you employ. I've had the chance to hire a number of people over my time in ministry. And the one thing that I tell every person that works for me, I tell them this. Everyone leaves eventually. Everyone leaves eventually. That's true in life. That's true at work. That's true in the church. Everyone leaves a church eventually. Some people are there a lot longer. Some people leave because they're carted out. But everyone leaves the church eventually. And it's my responsibility as the supervisor, it's my responsibility as the leader to ensure that the moment that you leave, you are a better person than when you came in. And that means that you're not just here to serve the organization. The organization is here to serve you as well. So, in every time I've had an opportunity to hire people, we ensure that there's room for people in their schedule to pursue the projects that they want to pursue. To pursue personal health and growth through a personal growth plan where it's not something that's directed, it's just something that they give and say, here's the things that I'm working on. And they can work on those things at work. They can listen to podcasts. They can study books. They can go to conferences that will help them get to 
in order to improve not just their skills that benefit the church, but improve them in the areas where they want to grow. I believe the best place to work was because I never had more opportunity to grow and be the person that God called me to be than right here. I want to have that lasting legacy with every employee that I hire. So, what do you want to work on? How do you want to be a better person? And that works in reverse as well. Make sure that I'm a better person because you worked here. And oftentimes that comes up in some very difficult conversations when we're talking about, listen, if you believe that I have sinned in some way, I want you to know that the titles are off the table. The, the path of seniority is off the table. I want you to know that you can come to me not as the boss, but as a fellow believer in Christ, and let's get this right. Let's grow together. Help me grow as well. Now, as an employer, if you have the capability, let me also say this. Those are some of the little things you can do, just to think that, you know, i got to make sure that people are always before the policy. People are before the processes. But the big things also matter as well. And that means, I believe, actually paying your employees a living wage, not just what the standard of pay is in your industry. Pay a living wage. Give people an opportunity to have a life, not just the standard of what the pay is in that industry. I think... Um, Jesus said that the second greatest commandment after loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, your, and mind and strength is to love your neighbor as yourself, that the two go hand in hand. Your employees, your neighbor, they work with you. So make sure that they are loved, that they are looked after, that their salary and benefits are what you would want to be paid. Since you work for Jesus... Treat your employees and the people that report to you with excellence. Put people before policies. I think the challenge in, of this particular teaching and text is that there's a disconnect with what we'd love to do and get paid for and what we have to do in order to get paid in order to have a life, right? Like, let's just be honest. Um, most people use their jobs to give them a lifestyle outside of work. They look for the things that will give them enough money in order for them to have the kind of lifestyle that they don't need to have. They just, it's just a paycheck. That's all I want. And when you have a job like that, you have more hard days at work than you have great days at work. So there's a mental shift that needs to happen, a mindset shift that needs to happen. When you're not working for the lifestyle that your job can provide, but you're working for Jesus at the job that he has provided you, that he is a great boss, that he will reward you for the work that you do with excellence. Most people do their work so that they can have a lifestyle outside of work. Christians bring their Christ life into their work. 
And we do that first and foremost by setting our minds to the fact that Jesus is our ultimate boss. He's the best boss that we could ever work for. Our work is valuable to him. He sees it. He loves how we do it. And he rewards when we do it with excellence. The people that we do our work for are valuable to Jesus. The people that work for us are valuable to Jesus. So treat them as such. Have you ever seen those um, employee of the month plaques? Restaurants or maybe your business. It's usually like a photo that turns out to be a driver's license photo quality of an employee stuck up on the wall. And they say, this is the employee of the month. I think God does better. And I like to imagine sometimes, I wonder if God has a um, employee of the month or employee of the day up in heaven. Whereas he's watching all of the uh, world go about doing its work. He's watching the church go about doing their work in their everyday lives. Christians going to their jobs 24-7 all around the world. He's saying, look at that person. That person's working with excellence and all the angels and all the saints in glory are like, yeah, look at them work. They're working like Jesus is their boss. If that's true, if there is an employee of the month or an employee of the moment in heaven, I don't know if it is, but if it is true, I can guarantee you this, that the people who are in that photo or are hung up on that wall are not just pastors and missionaries. They're regular people, janitors, the part-time substitute teachers, the assembly line workers, the parking lot attendants, the machinists, the fast food employee, the lab technicians, the software engineers, the guy stuck in middle management, the, the woman supervisor, the technical director, the senior designer, the CEO, the CFO, the COO. And what I want you to get from that is that there is no difference in work that makes some work sacred and some work secular. It's all ministry, and it's all worship. I've told many of you that um, one of my pet peeves in ministry is that um, when people call me pastor, as if it's my name, I get it, you're doing it as a, you know, it's want to be honorable, like calling someone judge when they're judge, um, but I'm not my title. I'm not just pastor. Because that sets up a, I view you through the lens of your work that you do. And that's, we're more than that. And I think that's being taught here, that the work that you do, it doesn't have to be, okay, I can't wait to, you know, get home. I can't wait to get out of this job so I can get to doing church ministry. There is no difference between that sacred and secular because we all work for the same boss whether we work in a church or whether we work outside the church. Your work is not less than meaningful if it's not work that we would call church ministry. It is meaningful when you work like Jesus is your boss and you work with excellence at the tasks that you have been given. God sees that and rewards that. He rewards those employees, employers who treat those employees they have under their care with incredible dignity. That's how you bring Jesus into your workplace. 
some workplaces, you know, they're, they like to say there's no discussion of politics or religion, right? Those are the things that'll just, you know, cause all sorts of office strife. Okay. Doesn't mean you can't pray for your friends at work. Doesn't mean you can't invite them to church. But make sure, most of all, that you're doing your job well. Not because you've been asked to, but because of who you work for. You, Christian, get to work for the best boss you could ever imagine. And he loves it and rewards it when you work with excellence. Let me pray for you. Jesus, um, we ask that your spirit would be here now speaking to us, guiding us. Some of us are in some really tough, difficult jobs. Jobs that are just maybe holdovers until retirement or holdovers to that next best thing that we, we have studied for and longed for. We want to be in those places. And when we're in those kinds of jobs, when we're employed in those kinds of places, it can be very difficult to do our jobs well. Some of us have days, some of us have had things happen in our lives where it's difficult for us to do our jobs well. And some of us have those kinds of bosses that people would love to quit because of the way we're treated. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us as Christians to have a Jesus-first mindset at work where we set our minds that you are our boss, that we do all of our work for you, that you are pleased when we do our work with excellence to the best of our ability, no matter whether it's a great opportunity or it's a pretty lowly one that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy to do. Lord, would you help us? Help us to work our very best at the jobs that we have right now because we are working for the best boss we could ever ask for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.